Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome, online community. Welcome to Grape Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and uh, we are continuing our series, Hoping For. This is actually the last message of this series. Um, it was a shorter series, but this whole month we've been talking about hope and really unpacking the things that we hope for and what are the things that battle against that hope inside of us. And today our message is called, My Dreams Seem Far. My Dreams Seem Far. And my heart in this message is really to, is really to reignite hopes and passions in our heart that may have grown cold or even even feel like they've died out a long time ago. And the first point that we're going to talk about is hitting walls. Hitting walls. It's hard to remain hopeful after running into wall after wall. It's hard to remain hopeful after hitting wall after wall. And We're going to be talking about the story of Joseph today, but before we get into scripture, um, as a lot of y'all know, I hurt my back last week. Um, I was doing deadlifts. I won't say the weight that I was lifting because y'all will judge me, but, uh, or you may or may not judge me. Okay. But I I hurt my back and it was on my fourth set and uh, it was actually a pre-existing injury that, that reignited and I felt this a very similar tinge in my lower back, and then I felt, uh, how do you say, immobilized. <laughs> and the first day, I wasn't able to walk. Um, I did try to get up initially, and then the pain started to set in. And I was like, well, maybe I can finish my workout. And then after a while, I realized I couldn't walk at all. Um, and so I was like, I better go try to sit down. And I barely made it inside, and Joy was following me and saying, Dad, what's wrong? What's wrong? It's like, nothing, baby. It's okay. But uh, that that was last week. The next day, I was able to I was able to walk just with you know pain, and it was just you know kind of just dealing with that pain over and over. And last night, my back wasn't necessarily a hundred percent, but it was feeling a lot better. I was able to walk normal, and no one would be able to notice I was in pain. And this injury. Uh, is actually something almost feels like personal because when I first gave my life to Christ, I actually had an injury. I, I had gotten into an accident. I had broke my wrist. I had uh, damaged my, my leg really bad. I had a limp and I had to wear a full arm cast for several months. And so I was a very physical uh, uh, athletic person prior to that and being immobilized and um, you know, borderline handicapped was a very difficult process for me. I was very um, angry and upset because when something like that happens to you, it feels like you're trying to do something, but you physically can't. And I remember when in the process of me giving my life to Christ, I I couldn't really do much, but I I started being able to walk, even though it was a little painful. I could walk and, you know, jog and stuff, but it would be painful. And I was never much of a runner, but... Uh, after I started finding my relationship with God and I started um, reading about how God, you know, answers prayers and stuff, (laughs) which 
um, it was new to me. And I started praying for God to give me the ability to run, even though my body said I couldn't. And out of nowhere, I just started being able to run for like seven miles without stopping. And I was never a runner before that. And, it, and so that, that simple aspect of running was something that was a beginning part of my faith. And I would just go running, and that was before like uh, smartphones were really popular, and so I would just go running with no, no music or anything, and I would just be praying that whole time. And I would just be talking to God. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just thinking about God, talking to God. And I would be really just awestruck that he was, I really believe that he was giving me the ability to do something I couldn't do. And I, last night, it was, it was actually late. I finished up the message for today. And I decided I wanted to go on a run. Even though I hadn't run since I built my home gym at the beginning of the year. So we all know about the cyclone. But... <laughs> I hadn't run in a long time, and I just really felt this desire to do something that I couldn't do. And so I went running, and I ran three miles last night, and I was just really, really wanting to almost like go back to that moment of being able to just like be with God and during that time. And I don't know if a lot of you can relate to this, but while I was running and I was praying, and I was just looking back over the years, and I felt like... I've changed a lot from the moment I first started running. I, I'm different now, but I'm also the same. I, I feel lost at times, a lot of times. I feel really desperate for God to move in my life. And I feel out of control. Uh, like, I, it's hard to keep control. And I was just running and talking to God, and it was just a really meaningful moment where... I was praying for God to reignite that, that simple belief I had at the beginning where I would pray for God to give me the ability to run and I believe he answered that prayer. And see, that little, that little belief, I saw it as a miracle, just a little miracle. But over the years in our faith, we start hitting these walls and we stop believing in little miracles. We, we stop believing in the little things and we still have our faith and and we believe in God, and we, we even read scripture and, and practice our faith, but we almost grow cold or hardened to the idea of these little miracles. And with today, as we, as we talk about this message, I really want to empathize with this emotion that, of discouragement. Because having a dream having a dream, it, it often irritates and offends others. And I feel like part of that discouragement over the years, I mean, I've been, I gave my life to Christ in, um, in October 2009. I always say that my spiritual birthday was January 27th, 2010, because that's when I got water baptized and really just um, went all in with my faith. But I remember at that moment where I would believe those little miracles. And over the years, it almost seems like one of the biggest walls we run into is discouragement of others. When I remember the first moments where I would start sharing like faith or believing for something uh, miraculous among other Christians that have been in the game longer than me. And I remember the moments where other people would tell me, 
I remember I was on fire like you once, but that will pass. And other times where I would, I would say, well, we could just pray. And they'd say, yeah, I know, but I just don't believe. I, I know that God answers prayers, but it's hard for me to believe that right now. And it's almost like they just didn't even want prayer. Or I would, I would have faith for something I was praying for, and then someone else would come in and, and say something along the lines of like, yeah, but don't you think you need to be a little more realistic? See, big faith often irritates and offends others. And they carry all the baggage that they have, and they try to put it on you. Have you ever heard that term, misery loves company? And when it comes to our faith, oftentimes we, when we've been discouraged, we try to bring other people down to our level. It, it takes a lot more effort to be discouraged and lift other people up. But it's a lot easier to be realistic, bring other people down to where you're at. Not in a condescending way, but almost like a passive, discouraging way. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's almost like a Nick, being nicknamed Dream Crusher. <laughs> and what's, what's really particular about hitting these kinds of walls is that the people that you often irritate and offend are those who are close to you. Those who even, they think that they know you. Maybe they do know you, but there's a level of intimacy that, they, that you don't trust them with. <laughs> and I want to read about Joseph because he, he experiences this. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 2 through 5, it says, These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. And while he was still a youth, Along with the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all the, his other sons, because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a multicolored tunic, or a robe, and his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him, they could not speak to him. On friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. For Joseph, he, I think, can resemble us in a lot of ways. Not just because of him having a dream, we'll get into that in a minute, but having uh, those moments where you have a special relationship with someone and it irritates others. Have you ever had a moment where maybe it's like a grandma or something that you were close to and it seemed like no one else really had a relationship with her like you did? And this was what it was like for Joseph. And even just that intimacy, even just that favor, irritated and bothered his brothers, those who were supposed to be close to him. And we see that he has even a level of integrity because he, when his brothers were... Uh, really just doing bad things at work, he, he reported it to his dad. Family business. And so it just added on the pile of why they hated him. His integrity, thinking that he's Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, that he's a, uh, he's a good little Boy Scout. He's favored. And it's obvious that his father uh, has favor by giving him special gifts that no one else got. And 
the moment that he had a dream and shared it with his brothers is a moment that it was like the, the tipping point. And I wanted to unpack the idea of what a dream is. For Joseph, it was both a literal dream that he had, but also an aspirational dream. It was a, it was a dream of having such great uh, responsibility, su such great um, character at some point in his life, to where his brothers literally are bowing down to him. And a lot of people have taken this context and uh, take this image of like that they're worshiping him. But it's a very simple idea that, that they were in servitude to him, that he was handling everything. It could have even just, Joseph might have even thought that he would run the family farm, <laughs> run the, the little cattle pen that they had. It, it wasn't uh, this idea of him being worshipped. It was just the idea of him being in charge to some degree. And when I think about this dream that he had, a lot of us have dreams very similar. A lot of us have like just this inner desire for greatness inside of our hearts to where even at a young age, we, we, we dream of big things. And the, the people that we irritate and offend by those dreams are the first walls that we hit. The other walls that we run into, they begin to attack our identity and discourage our vision. What happens to Joseph is all throughout his life, he's just getting wall after wall. Every time he thinks he's doing good, everything around him tears him down. And I, I feel like a lot of us can relate to that. You feel like you're, everything's going good and you feel like you're, you're, you're on your way to really like just feeling like fulfilling purpose in your life. And it seems like everything just crashes. Things out of your, your control pull you down. And for Joseph, his brothers uh, plotted against him and just uh, paraphrasing going into the scripture to see the end result. It says, so it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic, the multicolored tunic that was given to him. And they took him and threw him into the pit. And now the pit was empty without any water in it. So they first discussed among themselves of killing Joseph, but they... They were so nice and so graceful that they instead threw him into this pit to, to, to be fearful of his life, have abundance of fear, thinking that he was going to starve to death, dehydrate. No, we don't know how exactly long he was in there without any water, any food, thinking that he was going to be left to, for dead. And then it says uh, that they decided not to kill him. And it says, And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And so his brothers listened to him. They ended up selling him to some Ishmaelites who later sold him to Egyptian, uh, uh, Egyptian guard named Potiphar. But at this point, I want us to just unpack something. Because we're talking about the walls that we run into. And when it comes to these walls, like I said, they, they attack our identity and they discourage the vision. Do you think that Joseph believed so strongly that 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 dream would still come about when he was in that pit? When he was at rock bottom? Did he think that the promises of God were going to prevail? I, I, I imagine the fear. I don't know if anyone here has ever literally been afraid for your life, but maybe you, you're afraid of how you're going to make it to the end of the month. Maybe you're afraid of, of how... 
uh, how you're, you're going to be able to make it to the end of the year, the end of the month, how you're going to be able to keep your family together. You're just fearful, abundantly afraid. And that's what Joseph is having to experience in this moment. And notice that his brothers, the moment that they decide to, to sell him instead of kill him, that they have this idea that they're good people. Have you noticed that the people that treat you the worst think that they're saints? And they, they're like, you know what? He is our brother, and we're good people, so I guess we won't kill him. We'll sell him as a slave. And it, it's just so funny to me that even in Scripture, we can see the sinful human nature of mankind and thinking that even when they're doing wrong, they believe that they're doing right. You feel what I'm saying? These are some really heavy walls to run into. And I feel like the rest of his story is us hitting wall after wall after wall. And what, what really is perplexing is how at every stage of hitting a wall, Joseph still seems to behave as if he has a bright future ahead of him. The, our next point is oh, being okay when it's not okay. Being okay when it's not okay. I think everyone can agree that for Joseph's life, it's just not okay. It's not fair. He's given just a horrible hand in life, and, and yet he seems content. And it takes great faith to accept the present struggle as your calling. It takes great faith to accept the present struggle you're in as part of your calling. In Genesis chapter 39, we see that Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there and the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And now his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he owned. It came about that from that time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. So the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. What we're seeing is that Joseph, as a slave, does his very best. And I want us to understand that he was enslaved wrongly. It, it, he was enslaved wrongly. Usually when people were enslaved in this time, is because they took out a huge debt that they could not pay. They, they did something to enact their slavery. Joseph was... was uh, literally kidnapped and sold it, it was a is the most uh, the worst way of becoming into this predicament and even still we see that he makes the very best of it and he makes the very best of life even when it's not fair and i can't say that i have personally always done that in fact when i feel like things are not fair i often want to curse god i i get very angry and upset Especially when it feels like you're doing everything right. And you, you ask yourself in your prayers and you're saying, God, I'm trying to do this right. Why is everything going wrong? And 
For Joseph, for some reason, he's content even when life is unfair. In fact, it seems that he's so willing to be content with his present struggle. And Joseph was willing to live his life to the fullest, even as a slave. He was willing to live his life to the fullest, even as a slave. And I want us to understand that the moment, moment that he was enslaved, his pride, his humanity was stolen. I, when I think about pride, there's two forms of pride. There's like pride to where I think of me, myself, and I, I think first for myself than anyone else. I think everything re, uh, revolves around me. Uh, when I, even when I pray, it's only self-centered prayers. It's not to really glorify God. It's just to glorify myself. It's all about lifting me up. The other kind of pride is almost like the, our, the humanity, like having a, 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 your signature on something. It's like when I do good work, that's a pride. I'm, I'm putting pride into my work. And that is a good kind of pride. And for Joseph as a man, he had his pride stolen from him. His humanity stolen from him. Yet he lived as though he was living in his calling. When I think about some of the crappy jobs that I had, <laughs> I can't say that I always believed that I was living in my calling. I, there's most of those jobs I feel like I was gritting my teeth through. I would uh, be angry at God that I had to have that job in that first place. Uh, taking things just out of desperation. And here Joseph was forced into something he never wanted to be a part of, and yet he makes the best of it. Not only is he content, but he accepts it as though it's part of his calling, and he gives his very best. It's a powerful thing. That's a really powerful thing. And not, when, at this moment, it seems like everything is going better for him. He's put in charge of all of Potiphar's house. I mean, this is a, a very prominent uh, political figure, and he's put in charge of everything, where it says Potiphar didn't worry about anything because Joseph was in charge. So even as a slave, he became prominent. He, he earned his stripes, in a sense. And it seems like Joseph might actually be fulfilling his calling after all, from the bottom all the way to the top. And then it says in, in the uh, next couple verses that Potiphar's wife became very attracted to Joseph. And it even says in Scripture that Joseph grew, because remember, he's really young, and it says that he grew into a very handsome young man, a handsome and strong young man. Yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about, ladies? I mean, a handsome and strong young man. Some, something where you look at him like, that's a Christian man right there. He could be my husband. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, it's like he's acceptable. And it said that she started to come on to him, and that he resisted her to the point where he even tells her, your master, my master, has put me in charge of all of his household. The only thing he's entrusted me with everything in his house to where he doesn't even accuse me of stealing. And the only thing he refrains from me is you. How could I do this to God, let alone your, your, your husband? And so you can imagine that she was furious. Like, you don't need to be telling me about him. I know who he is. I know how he is. <laughs> and, and he refused and said that he would consistently and constantly refuse her. But then one day, all the other servants were out, and it was just him and her there. 
And that, that's a, this is a lesson for us as guys uh, that are married, that it, it sh- is a, it's a dangerous place to be when we allow ourselves to be alone with another woman. Uh, not, not saying that women are the ones always grabbing for guys. Uh, but it says that she ended up uh, taking hold of him and saying, lay with me, grabbing him and pulling him onto her, saying, lay with me. And this dude literally squirmed out of his robe and ran away butt naked. <laughs> Humiliating. Imagine the scene. You're on your lunch break, and you're like, yeah, and I told him I'm not going to lift that. And all of a sudden, you just see Joseph running by naked, faster than the speed of light. And you're like, was, did you see that? Dang, he has abs. <laughs> I didn't know he could run that fast. And he, re- he was willing to just be humiliated and run away butt naked rather than uh, being tempted into such sin. And at that point, Potiphar's wife humiliated herself that someone was willing to run away naked <laughs> just to not be with her. Screamed, and when everyone came, she said, Joseph tried to rape me. Remember, Joseph is still a slave. He's still, even though he's been given superiority, who are they going to believe? Potiphar's wife or Joseph, this Hebrew slave that no one uh, even really knows where he came from? And so at that moment, they threw Joseph in jail. No, no time sentence. He was going to just stay there and rot. This is another moment where Joseph is just, he thought he was actually going to enter into his calling. He thought that everything was going right. And Things out of his control. He literally did everything he possibly could to do the right thing. And circumstances out of his control forced him back down to rock bottom. And he's thrown into the prison. He was imprisoned falsely. And imagine the doubts that he had to overcome. The complete discouragement when he became a prisoner wrongfully accused. And the difference between being a slave and being a prisoner is that there's a new level of humility. Not only are you further humbled, but loneliness sets in like a crushing force. You ever experienced that kind of loneliness to where it literally feels like it's crushing your chest? That loneliness that that feels like uh, if you were to yell as loud as you can, no one would hear you. And it sometimes feels like that, that you're, you're just living with yourself Everything inside of you screaming, but there's no one there to help you. See, Joseph is now experiencing a, a whole new rock bottom. I mean, it's one thing when we hit rock bottom in life and we bounce back, but to hit it multiple times, I mean, first being sold as a slave, then be, uh, simply being, uh, being a slave, then being in prison, I mean, rock bottom over and over and over. And I just can't imagine recovering from that. And I feel like a lot of us are thinking about our rock bottom moments. And some of you have come up from that. And, and, at the, and you've recovered. And when you look back, can you remember the moments that you truly felt like it was never going to get better? You couldn't even imagine how things could get better. But for Joseph, he actually does the exact same thing. You know, it doesn't say how much time elapses before he starts being successful even in prison, which 
is, I don't even know how you do that. But I imagine there's that, that time frame of giving up. It doesn't talk about it in Scripture, but I just believe that it has to be there, that time frame. We don't know how long it was that Joseph might have given up. After hitting wall, after wall, after wall. But there's a moment where he decided to, to get back up, dust himself off, and try again. That takes some grit. That takes some, some ex- extreme faith. And when he gets back up and he starts doing the same thing as he did in the prison, it says that the prison ward puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. That God blessed him and that the prison ward didn't have to worry about anything because Joseph ended up handling it all. And with all of this responsibility that Joseph takes on, let's understand what that is. It says that God blesses Joseph and he gets all this responsibility. It shows us that blessings are actually come in forms of responsibility. Perfect example, kids. What little blessings, right? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the first week that you bring a baby home and you realize that you're never going to sleep again, that's like a rock bottom moment. <laughs> but see, it's such an amazing blessing, but it comes with so much responsibility. For Joseph, he was willing to accept more and more responsibility. No increase of pay. You think he was getting uh, a little bump in his, his food rations? I mean, he's, he has nothing to look forward to, and yet he's doing his best. Most of us, when it comes to just our simple jobs, we're not willing to do anything extra unless we get a raise, unless we get a promotion. Well, that's supposed to be their job. But it shows us this, this attitude in Scripture that when we take initiative, when we just uh, do things out of the sense of uh, walking in our calling, doing our best with where we're at, that God blesses that. He rewards that. And Joseph ends up becoming this, uh, this prison, prison ward servant. And it says that by the time that Joseph, what, what we hear at the end of the story is that one day, the Pharaoh calls Joseph out of the prison. It says, uh, it says that Pharaoh called him up. Joseph ended up interpreting two dreams uh, from a cupbearer and a baker inside the prison cell. And the, the dream came true, and the cupbearer was restored next to Pharaoh's right hand. And when he left, Joseph said, Please remember me when you go to Pharaoh so that I don't rot here in this prison. So even though it's saying that Joseph was blessed in the prison, let us not be mistaken that it was great down there. He begs the cupbearer to remember him so that he can see the light of day again. Please, so I don't stay here, remember me. I'd rather be a free man than a, a, a blessed servant in prison. I'd rather be a free man with nothing than to rot here. And so, be not mistaken, he made the best of it, but it was not pretty. And instead, the cupbearer did forget about him for two, over two years. So imagine that glimmer of hope, like, all right, he's going he's gonna to remember me. I'll just wait a couple weeks, and surely they'll come and get me. Imagine how long he waited before he gave up hope. Weeks, months, after the first year. At what point did he give up hope? But then, at one point, Pharaoh had a dream, and this reignited the cupbearer's memory. He said, oh, you know what? There's a guy I forgot to tell you about. What was his name? <laughs> and Pharaoh called Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream, and to make a long story short, Pharaoh ends up putting Joseph 
in charge of all of Egypt. The same story over and over. He was put in charge of all of his father's uh, uh, workers, all the sheep he would report to his father. And then he was doing the same thing at Potiphar's house, put in charge of everything. Then he was, did the same thing in the prison. And he went from glory to glory to glory, but each glory level that he went to didn't seem better. And so at one point, he got the exact same treatment and was put in charge of all of Egypt, to where only Pharaoh was higher than him. And his life changed in an instant. Imagine if just the day before he was hopeless, just the day before he was battling that discouragement, what if he was right about to curse God and, and say that he's done, he's tired of it? What if, he, what if he was having suicidal thoughts just the night before? And the next day, everything changed. And he literally enters into this dream that God gave him when he was just a teenager. By this time, he's over 40. This is a long time to be holding on to a dream, right? See, a lot of us are in that middle point. And we're, we're waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering, is that dream going to happen? And see, that brings us to our last point, that is, the wait prepares your walk. The wait prepares your walk. What you do while waiting is what prepares you for your calling. What you do while waiting is what prepares you for your calling. And when we enter into that fulfilled dream, what it requires is us to still have faith that that dream is real. That aspiration, that belief is real. When I think about the simple dream, I had a, a literal dream of having a baby girl run up to me and, and yell out, Daddy! And from that moment, I woke up and I told Lauren, We're, I think it's time for us to have a baby. I had a dream. Her name is Joy. And we started, have, we started trying to have kids. It took three years of us trying to have kids from that moment. Two miscarriages in between. And I remember the moments that I, we would go to church and during praise and worship, I would just start crying and weeping and praying for God to answer that prayer, to answer that dream. And there'd be even, you know, like those certain praise songs as like, you give me joy. And I knew that that was her name. And I was like, God, like make this song a reality. Give me this baby. I saw her, and she looks exactly like that dream. Now that I have her and I have additions, <laughs> I got three kids. God not only answered my dream, but better than I expected. And see, when it comes to God's fulfillment of the dream, it is always bigger than what we expect. See, I bet every time Joseph thought when he was at the top before his rock bottom moment that that was God fulfilling his dream. He's put in charge of everyone. He's given the responsibility that he had in the dream to where people were going to him. And he probably believed that that was a dream. But God's plan for him was way bigger. So much bigger than what he expected for himself. Being in charge of not only all of Egypt. Egypt was the only place that had resources in the time of a famine that lasted seven years. You thought just the couple weeks that there was no toilet paper at the grocery store was bad? Seven years in desperation. And Egypt was the only place that had resources. He was not only in charge of all of Egypt, but everyone in the world was going to Joseph. Everyone was bowing down to him, begging for food. And good thing that he was a man of integrity 
Good thing that he was a man of, of honor that respected God and loved God's people. It is only in the waiting that we see these moments of integrity, the moments where he respected people's humanity, that prepared him to be able to have such a high responsibility. And just as I'm saying that God has answered my dream of that little girl way bigger than I expected. Three kids under three. I got a kid for each year that we prayed. Way bigger than I expected. So it was for Joseph, and so it is for you. But the enemy will always try to discourage us into thinking that our dreams are too big and that we need to settle for the slave yard or for the prison. The enemy will always try to get you to settle. He'll always try to get you to settle for less and convince you that your dream is too big. But God, is, he, he only gave you a shadow of what is to come. Scripture makes that consistent. The tabernacle, everything set up for the worship of God in, in Israel, it was said to be a shadow of heaven, a shadow of the real thing. What, when he shows us something, it's only a shadow of what's to come. So don't settle for the prison yard. Don't settle for the slave yard. But know that you're stepping into something bigger than what you could imagine for yourself. Better than what you could imagine for yourself. My dreams, the wife that I prayed for, better than I could ever expect. The kids, better than I can expect. The tr when God first called me to ministry, I never thought I would be a church planter. I thought so much less than of myself that I would never be able to do something like that. And being a church planner, being a, a pastor of Grape Top Church is, the, is so much better than I expected. So much better than I expected. Having a church family that's so accepting, loving, that seeks God, it's better than I expected. And I urge you to understand and see your dreams as clear as the day that you first had them. Don't let the walls that you've hit over and over and over discourage you or disorient you from the vision God gave you. The most powerful thing that we can learn from Joseph is at the end of his story. In Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse 1, we have this, this story of his brothers coming back to Egypt to get rations of food for their family, and they don't recognize Joseph. They've already erased Joseph from their, from their lives. And there's this whole back and forth between them. And at this point, his brothers come again. And it says here in the story, Then Joseph could not control himself in front of everyone. At this point, Joseph was trying to kidnap Benjamin, his little brother, his full-blood little brother, because he was afraid that they were going to do the same thing to him that they did to him. And he also was still lonely. He had everything, but he still desired his family. And Benjamin was the closest thing that he could have. And at this point, his brothers all said, we will be enslaved too with him because we won't leave him behind. And at that point, showing that his brothers have completely changed. They sold him into slavery for, for dimes, on, for, for pennies. And now they're, willing, they're saying, we're not, let, we're not leaving without him, you can enslave us too. So at this point, Joseph's heart is broken from seeing this display. It says, then Joseph could not control himself in front of everyone standing before him, and he shouted, Have everyone leave me. So there was no one with him 
when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Then he, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you to save lives. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. So God sent me ahead of you to ensure for, your, for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You know, this, this moment, we see just in a, this incredible display of just crazy thinking from Joseph. How could he not hold it against his brothers? How, how could you have so much pain and misery inflicted on your life by someone's hand? Literally every moment that he was in the prison yard. Every moment that he was a slave was because of his brothers. And yet he, was a, he changed his perspective to see it as a good thing that God was doing rather than see it as a thing to hold against them. One thing that made it possible for Joseph to be able to forgive his family is first by starting the restoration process and, to, and that was the fact that he was living in his dream. When he was, before he ever entered into his dream, he saw his vision and he kept that dream alive. And I believe that he was at the end product of his calling, and so he was able to see the bigger picture. And when we're at the end product of our calling, when we're in the dream, and you look backwards, it's, it's so much easier to see things not so personally. When I look back and look at the moments of trauma in my life, I can see how it built me into something better. I don't believe that God inflicts that trauma. I believe that God turns that trauma into a purpose. He turns our pain into something meaningful, but he doesn't intend for us to have pain because God, doesn't have, God does not enact sin. And so it's the perfect examples when my, uh, my dad and his first wife got divorced, praise God. That's not God's plan, but God used it for something good because I would never be alive if they were still together. I wouldn't be alive. And, and see, it's a simple idea of knowing that God will turn any dark time, any misery into something beautiful, into something meaningful, that we could truly give him anything and he can turn it around for good. And in this moment, Joseph took all of that pain and took all of that heartache and gave it to God instead of keeping it for himself to take revenge. He let go of it and trusted God that he would put purpose to all that pain. And it was only then that he was able to forgive his brothers. 
It was only then that he not only could forgive them, but want to be restored to them. He said, come closer to me. He put his arms around them. He wanted his brothers back, even though they betrayed him. And he was able to see what could be rather than what was. See, that's such a difficult thing to do. If you have any family member that you are not on talking terms with, it is so hard. It is so difficult to imagine what could be, what good could be after the last time y'all spoke. But here Joseph is, is the first one to implement restoration. And it's because he was able to see the big picture. He was able to see the vision of what could be at the end. I pray right now in this moment that the biggest thing that you're taking away from this is what could be. What could be? What could be in that dream, in your life, and what could be in those broken relationships? We, we only have this life. We only have the time on hand. And I think one of the biggest things that we lose hope for is those broken relationships, those distant family members, those people that we never want to talk to again. And I believe that there's something that could be. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe it's family members for you. Maybe it's a, an old, cold dream. But maybe you're here, and the biggest what could be for you is your relationship with God. What could it really be like? Does it have to be an old, ugly religion that you've seen others have? Does it have to be a bitter, offended faith? Or could it be something vibrant, something like it was for Joseph, to where it helps give you a foundation to stand on when you're at rock bottom? It helps bring you life when it feels like everything else around you is dead. If you're here right now in this moment, that's you, and you want to see what could be with your relationship with Jesus Christ. You haven't seen it before, but right now you have that, that hope of what could be in Him. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. I see your hands. Right there to yourself, I want you to have that conversation with God. Just simply say in your own words, Jesus, I want to see what could be with you. I want to see what it's really like to have a relationship with my Savior. I want to know what it's like to walk hand in hand with my Creator, to go through life not being alone. I want to walk with you. Have that simple conversation with Jesus because the Bible says in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. Surely, what that's saying is that you, you easily, simply enter into this relationship with him. And it's just saying if you have a genuine heart, you just talk to him. Now, if you're here and you're on that spectrum of what could be for that broken dream, what could be for that broken relationship, 
you're here, with every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I'm going to just pray over you. God, I thank you that you are inspiring hope, restoring hope again. And right now I pray that you give people here eyes to see what could be. I pray that you would speak to their hearts and that you give them vision, clear image of what could be. And give them the strength to walk forward in that. To just go by your leading and that you surpass their expectations, God. Even now, Lord, start preparing the way for them and help them to get through all of these walls, to just blast through them and to walk into their calling, to walk into that dream, to reconcile things, to see what could be. I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. With that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. Before, before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you. Have a good rest of your life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.